0: I mean, let's uh, turn to Scripture together, to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we'll read verses 1 to 12, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Father, we thank you for uh, the, the power of your words. We thank you for the permanence of your word. Uh, we had the opportunity to reflect uh, on that to a certain extent uh, this morning in the midst of everything else that was going on, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have just read together, and we pray that those words would strike us with fresh authority uh, and clarity, and that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts and in our minds as we read and reflect on these words of the Lord Jesus again Father, that, that we would see very clearly any changes that we need to make in our lives. And that we would have the confidence in Christ to make those changes, knowing that you will be faithful to give us the grace and the strength that we require, and knowing that no matter how costly these changes may be, that the path the Lord Jesus leads us on is the path to the blessed life that we long for. So may we know the presence and the power of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. May we hear His voice And may we respond to that voice in a way which brings joy to his heart and honour to his name. Amen. Well, we have been uh, taking a whistle-stop tour through the Beatitudes over the past couple of Sunday evenings. And today we arrive at our final destination, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 9 to 12. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We've said all the way through this journey through the Beatitudes that blessed is a very rich biblical word. It's often translated happy, and it does mean happy as far as that goes, but there is much more than just happiness kind of bound into this great word. There is happiness, but there is also joy, there is fulfillment, there is contentment. It is happiness, but it is happiness that is strong and secure and deep. It's not pleasure which sits on the surface of our souls, ready to be blown away uh, by the first first breath of wind that comes our way, it is deep, and it is strong, and it is secure. The world is able to offer us uh, cheap pleasures a plenty, but the world is powerless to give us that which the Bible calls blessedness. And today we come to another word, uh, which is similar in that it has a lot bound up within it, this word peace, a very important word in Hebraic thought, a very deep and profound and meaningful word. Many great leaders through the course of history have said that peace is more than just the absence of conflict, and that is certainly true as we encounter peace in Scripture. Peace in the Bible carries the idea of rest and safety and security and wholeness and well-being. All of these things are bound up in this wonderful word, peace, shalom, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God for the children of God. So if we turn our attention for a moment to the priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6, very familiar words. The Lord says, tells Moses, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. For those who carry his name, his presence is peace. If we move forward to to John chapter 14, as the Lord Jesus blesses his disciples, he brings them the news that they don't want to hear, that he is about to leave But he blesses them with these words, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the context of that assurance is the promise of his presence. As strange as that sounds, he's about to leave them, but he is promising them that Pentecost is just round the corner that He will send His Spirit, He will pour out His Spirit on His people. It is the promise of the presence of God that is to usher in the peace of God to the hearts of the children of God. It is a glorious thing, and it's not something that we naturally possess or something that we just stumble into. It has become Fashionable for people to get tattoos that say only God can judge me, only God can judge me. Well here is God's judgment on the world, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here is God's judgment on the world. We have failed to meet the mark, we have failed to make the grade. We have fallen short and we have sinned. We are by nature sin addicts. Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin and that is our fleshly nature. We are enslaved to sin and the wages of sin is death. So it's no small matter. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement, he is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Even the smallest of sins is an act of rebellion against the God who is holy and good and just, the God who has gifted us life. And even the smallest sin we say to God When it comes to my life I'll be a better God than you will. So, even the smallest of sin is no small matter, but we never really see the sinfulness of sin until we see the glory of God. Then, like Isaiah, we assume the worst I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So here's Isaiah's vision of God, here is his reaction to this vision of God and his glory. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord. Almighty. We assume the worst, but God, in His love and in His grace, offers us the best. Consider the Prince of Peace and consider the Price of Peace. God took the initiative. He came to us, He stepped into this world to bring peace. The one the prophet Isaiah said would be called the Prince of Peace came into our world not to wage war but to offer peace to all who would turn to Him and trust in Him. He took the penalty for our sin on the cross while we were still His enemies. Once, says the Apostle Paul, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. All who accept this gracious gospel invitation, all who repent and trust in Jesus are reconciled. Hostilities cease, but peace is more than just the absence of conflict. He doesn't bring us to that place of peace and then tell us to live on our side of the wall with, you know, armed guards stationed along the top. He invites us, He welcomes us, He brings us into His kingdom. And not only does He bring us into His kingdom as subjects, He brings us into His home, into His presence. And not only does He bring us into His home and into His presence, He brings us into His family as sons and daughters. He adopts us as His children. It's not some kind of uh, peace treaty that we are left with. We are able to call out to God and cry with the very words of Jesus himself, Abba, Father, we are his dearly loved children. Now we carry his name wherever we go, and as such we ought to know his presence, and with his presence we ought to know his peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Maybe for one or two of us, that's all we need to hear this evening from this sermon. Not giving you all permission to switch off at this point, but maybe for one or two of us, that promise from the lips of the Lord Jesus are what you really need to hear and to allow to sink in. So he has brought us into peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ at great cost to himself. What is the fruit or what ought the fruit of peace with God be in our lives? Well, we ought to be at peace within. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is with us, what is there to fear? And it's a powerful witness to the world when we face trials and tribulations, when we face suffering, when we face death, and people look to us and they see a peace in us that is utterly foreign to them. It's one of the great privileges of being Uh, In pastoral ministry, you get invited into people's lives in crisis situations and in uh, very difficult circumstances. And uh, we grieve and we sorrow and we hurt. Uh, But even in the midst of that grief and that sorrow and that pain and that loss at times, there is bubbling under the surface always this peace. Which just cannot be swept away. It's like one of those candles you get, uh, you, you can't extinguish, you know, in birthday cakes. You blow them out, they just keep coming back. Well, peace in the life of a believer ought to be like that. You can never quite extinguish it, no matter what it is we face, what it is we are called by Christ to go through. We ought to be at peace within. If God is with us, who can be against us? Uh, there was a wee boy at my school uh, when I was there, and uh, he was a wee boy, but he knew what it was to be at peace. He swaggered his way through four or five years at secondary school, not because he was bigger or stronger than any of the other boys, but because his cousin was one of the local boys uh, gangsters in the, the the area of Glasgow in which my school was situated and everyone knew who he was and who his cousin was and his cousin was not known as his cousin, his cousin was known as his honours, I'm assuming that word has come this far east, it was his, his honours, you knew, you knew that if you were to fight with this boy who I won't name, given that this has been recorded, then you weren't just taking on this wee boy, you were taking on his cousin. And if his cousin was with him, then he had nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? We no longer need to fear life because he is with us. He has promised never to fail us nor forsake us. His grace will show itself to be sufficient in every circumstance that we face We no longer need to fear life and we no longer need to fear death because He has conquered death. Death has lost its sting. Death has become to us the doorway to the place that Jesus called paradise. We cannot begin to really grasp the wonder of our future in Christ, but we know that it is there. And death is the doorway to that place of unspeakable joy. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child of God, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. The fruit of peace with God ought to be peace within. Secondly, the fruit of peace with God ought to be that we find ourselves as peacemakers, in the world. Firstly, and most importantly, by calling other people to come to find the peace that we have found in Christ. We proclaim, we share the good news of the gospel and the hope that people will respond by receiving Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior and by entering in To that fullness of life that we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be peacemakers. In the ancient world, there were no schools or colleges or universities as we know them. So, if your dad was a butcher and you were a boy, there's a 99.9% chance that you're going to be a butcher. When you get to a certain age your dad's going to start to train you how to use the tools of the family trade he's going to um, take you through it step by step and then in due course you'll work with him and then after that you'll take over from him and if you have a son the same thing will happen i'm sure there were exceptions but 99.9 percent of the time if your father had a business you were a boy you would be trained up in the family business if your dad's a farmer, get ready to plow those fields. If your dad's a carpenter, get ready for some scalfs, because that's the way that it works. Well, being merciful and bringing peace is our father's business. It's what he does, and he is very, very good at it. And his heart's desire is that his children, the people who carry his name, would be involved, would be active, would be at work, that we would go in his name and do the same. Be holy as he is holy, be merciful as he is merciful, bring peace as he brings peace. And the first and most important way that we do that is by calling others to find peace, by turning to Jesus and trusting in Jesus and giving their lives to Jesus. I wonder if we can identify with the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Last week, we were beggars telling others where we had found bread. This week, we were rebels who have found how good it is to live in the kingdom of God, to live under the rule and the reign of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This week, we are those who go out into the darkness and usher people in to the light of His love. We ought to lead people to peace by proclaiming the gospel, but we should also seek and strive to be at peace with others. We should take the initiative, as God took the initiative with us, to reach out seeking reconciliation with those uh, who we have found ourselves in conflict with. That is the way of God and Christ. That is what God has done For us, we should seek and strive to be at peace with other people, no matter how costly and how difficult that may be to us to take the initiative. And thirdly, we should bring peace to people who are at odds with each other, It should be in our new nature when we see two people or two groups of people bickering or fighting or gossiping, it should be in our new nature to want to bring them together, to bring to birth reconciliation and peace and harmony. We should be free from the petty conflicts that are so prevalent in some of our workplaces, uh, in some of our Homes, some of our families, we should be free from that, and our influence should go some way towards bringing people together. Well, that all sounds lovely, doesn't it? Uh, Go out into the world and bring peace. I, I read one commentator say of this passage: "There are people in whose presence bitterness cannot live." There are people in whose presence bitterness cannot live, and I thought that's a great quote. I'm going to quote that on Sunday, and then I'm going to go out on Monday morning, I'm going to put a flower in what's left of my hair, and skip my way down to Glastonbury singing uh, John Lennon songs, and bitterness will just melt away in my presence, and everyone will come into peace and harmony, and we'll all sing songs together. There are people in whose presence bitterness cannot live. I I would love it if that were true, but I don't think it is. Certainly our influence should bring peace. But I don't think there are people in whose presence bitterness cannot live. The Bible is relentlessly real and true. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, the assumption of the Apostle Paul is that it may not be possible, But he writes to tell these Roman believers that their responsibility is to do what they can and then to leave it there. Do what you can and be at peace with that. And then consider the Lord Jesus himself. Perfect in love, perfect in peace, perfect in kindness, in graciousness, in goodness, in gentleness and mercy. He faced hostility and persecution. He was mocked and beaten and murdered. And he tells his followers that we should not expect anything else. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also, he said. Servant is not greater than his master. So sometimes we will have the joy of seeing other people reconciled. Sometimes we'll have the joy of seeing people come to faith in Christ and be reconciled with God. Sometimes we'll have the joy of uh, being reconciled ourselves with those who were opposed to us. Sometimes we'll have the joy of being used by God to bring other people who are arguing or who were gossiping or who were uh, bitter towards one another, bringing them together, seeing reconciliation And great things flourish from that. Sometimes we will have those joys, and sometimes we won't. But our responsibility is to do what we can and then entrust it into the hands of God. Sometimes people will not accept uh, peace and reconciliation. People tend to make fun of those who stand out for any reason. Uh, Jason mentioned Geraint Thomas, I think it was at the last church meeting in the devotional uh, section We'll following in Jason's footsteps. I have Geraint Thomas's autobiography in the house. He's a Welsh cyclist for Sky. He's very, very good and very, very successful. And in his uh, autobiography, he tells the story of when he was younger, and he was kind of stepping out from the crowd. I would imagine rugby's probably the number one sport in Wales, and football's number two. I don't know where cycling is, but it's not at the top of the list. And he says in his autobiography, when you're a 12-year-old boy in Cardiff, you do not want to be rocking up at school with shaved legs. (laughs) And he he fought this for two years, and then eventually decided not it's worth it you know cycling is worth it I'm passionate about cycling and I'm all in so he did uh, he shaved his legs and he put on his lycra and he was mocked I'm sure by the other boys at his school I'm sure he was laughed at for standing out from the crowds but he had made the decision that it was worth it and I'm sure he doesn't regret that decision now and I'm sure there aren't many people who are laughing at him now either and that's true for us as Christians. We have to stand out from the crowd. We are going against the flow of our society. And in doing that for anything, there are going to be those who laugh or who sneer or who mock or who point the finger or who whisper behind our backs. That is true, but there is more than that as well because there is a spiritual dimension to this, a spiritual Dynamic. People who love the darkness may well lash out at the light. Sometimes people are quite comfortable in their sin, and they can be very hostile when someone comes to tell them that they can be free from that which they have given their lives to. Sometimes people will insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Him. We won't be subject to some of the things that our brothers and sisters have to face in foreign lands, but it still hurts. It still hurts when we try and bring peace and we are met with hostility. And the temptation after we have been hurt is to hide away, to try and keep our faith a personal and private thing, as society would tell us we have to, to keep it inside these four safe walls where no one will mock us, no one will wound us, once bitten, twice shy, but that is not the way of Christ, and neither is it the way to the blessed life that Jesus offers to us. Jesus takes the pain seriously. He doesn't say when people insult you, Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Just remember, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names can never hurt you. He doesn't say that because he knows it hurts. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are free from needing the approval of this world because you are a citizen of heaven. You have the approval of the King of kings. So put that on the scales and see what happens to your life. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For, in the same way, They persecuted the prophets who were before you. So remember, firstly, a great reward awaits us. It may seem very far away, but it won't be long. It won't be long. And remember, secondly, that we are part of something so much bigger. We are part of something great and glorious. We are part of something that stretches round the world, and back through the ages. Look to that great list eh, that the Lord has for us in Hebrews chapter 11, and know that now it is us. Now it's our time, now it's our turn. The baton has been placed into our hands, and we are called to run. And it may be hard, it may be costly, it was for those who have gone before us, but it will be worth it in the end. We can edge beyond Hebrews chapter 11, can't we, into Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God grant us the joy of being a people in which this blessedness of Matthew chapter 5 is allowed to to grow and to flourish and to bear fruit which will last for the cause of Christ's kingdom, for the honor of His name, and for our joy in Jesus. Amen.